We're actually kicking off a new series uh, this morning, and this new series is all about stories in the book of Luke of people who got a fresh start. And in this series, this is going to take us all the way to Easter Sunday, where we celebrate the fresh start that we all get uh, because of Jesus uh, rising from the tomb, and uh, we'll celebrate that big on Easter Sunday. But over these next several weeks, we're going to study in the book of Luke, and I would encourage you uh, to read with us in the book of Luke. And, and I hope that in this, uh, in this series that all of us will uh, read through the gospel of Luke, uh, that we will uh, encounter some of these stories on our own and our personal devotions as well as we talk about them on Sundays. But in these stories, we're going to look at some really broken people that Jesus offered a fresh start to and, and healed and restored them. We're going to look at some bad people that Jesus kind of turned their life from bad to good and, and really changed things around for them. But we're also going to look at some people like today that were good people. And I think that as we kick this series off, um, this is a really important message for us to hear, that Jesus didn't just offer fresh starts to really bad people. He did do that. Jesus didn't just offer fresh starts to really broken people. He did do that. But Jesus also found some good people. Jesus also found um, some, some people that were kind of moving through life in, in good ways, but it wasn't the best. And Jesus gave them a fresh start to have a purpose and a meaning for their life that was completely different and, and what Jesus would say better than the life they had before. And so I think this is an important message because I think that there are many of us that, that are here this morning or that are maybe connecting online that, that we don't necessarily resonate with the story of the demoniac that was full of so many demons that he was called legion. You know, we, we just, we can't connect with that story so much. Now there are some that are here, some that are listening that maybe say, yeah, that's my story. But, but there are many that would say, yeah, I just, I don't really connect with that story as much. But this story, the story of somebody that was just kind of going through life, doing the right thing, you know, providing for their families, this story of someone who had their life changed from a normal path to an extraordinary path, because of a fresh start that Jesus gave him, that's a story that we can resonate with. That's a story that we can connect with. And so we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke this entire series. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Uh, Luke is the uh, third book in the New Testament. So you got Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Um, if it helps you, it's page 1664 in my Bible. You know, don't know how much that'll help you in your Bible. But um, as you're turning there, um, I, I'll just say this. Uh, just to kind of let you know and, and catch you up on what's happened in the Gospel of Luke up to this point. In, in Luke chapter 1, uh, we've got the angel Gabriel who's showing up uh, and, and letting, uh, letting the families know uh, that John the Baptist is going to be born and letting Mary know uh, that Jesus is going to be born. In, in Luke chapter 2, uh, we have the story of Jesus' birth, Jesus' dedication in the temple. We have this really one of the only stories, one of the few stories of Jesus' childhood where his parents lose him in Jerusalem. I mean, just imagine that you're given the Son of God and you lose him. Like, I. 
that's, that's, you know, sorry, God, we lost your son. You know, um, that, that was a tough one. Uh, but they found him, and he was in the temple with the religious leaders, just uh, kind of saying, hey, you should have known I'd be in my father's house. Uh, and then in Luke chapter 3, uh, we have kind of the story of John the Baptist who is uh, paving the way for Jesus, and he's telling people to repent, make way, because Jesus is coming. And then ultimately, John baptizes Jesus. He tries to say, no, you know, you should be baptized. And Jesus says, no, this is the way it should be. And then he baptizes Jesus. And then in Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes off into the wilderness, and uh, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He's tempted by the devil, and then he begins his earthly ministry. And and the different... uh, the different other Gospels uh, will we'll talk about that beginning of Jesus' ministry in different ways. But here's, here's one thing you need to know, and it, it highlights it in Luke chapter 4 as well. Um, what we're about to read is not Jesus' first encounter with Peter and these disciples. You need to know that. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, we're told that uh, Jesus actually goes to Peter's house and stays with Peter and heals Peter's mother-in-law. So, Jesus not only knew Peter, Peter not only knew Jesus, there was at least the familiarity where Peter had had Jesus in his home. Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law, which is one of my favorite stories in the Bible because, you know, he heals her and she gets up and makes a meal for everybody. And I just think that's really funny that, you know, they were hungry and they were like, can you heal Peter's uh, mother-in-law? So she's an amazing cook, Jesus. We, we, you know, if, if you heal her, like she'll just whip something up amazing, you know, and so Jesus heals her and they, they get fed really well. Um, but then here in Luke chapter 5, we get this story of this fresh start of these men. I think this is such a, such a powerful story for us because it's a fresh start that I think we all need to hear. It's a fresh start that, that we need to connect with this morning and in the weeks and months and years ahead. And so Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. If you don't have your Bibles, the words are going to be on the screen as well. But Luke chapter 5, verse 1 says this, One day... As Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. And when he had finished speaking... He said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper, and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, and I imagine there's some like, master. Maybe a little bit of eye rolling, a little bit of a, you know, there's some tone in that master, really. Master, Simon replied, "We, we worked hard all last night, and we didn't catch a thing. But... If you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. And a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. 
His partners, James and John, and the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. This is God's word for us today, and we are thankful for it. Would you bow your heads and let's pray together uh, as we jump in to this message in this series. Father, we, we give this time to you. We give our, our hearts and our full attention to you, our, our minds. Lord, we pray that you would use your word to stir up something new in our hearts today. God, I pray that as we study this fresh start of these men, these fishermen that knew the water and knew nets and knew this lake and knew boats, but didn't know anything about catching people for you, Lord, that you gave them a fresh start. I pray that as we look at their story and this fresh start that you gave them, I pray that you would point out to us, reveal to us, the fresh start that you want to give to us this morning. Lord, may this not just be a, an exercise of learning something new about these characters, but Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us what you want to speak into our hearts. Lord, that we would hear your call this morning, that we would be willing to say yes, and we would be willing to throw down whatever nets that you're asking us to throw down, that we would be willing to leave behind whatever it is you're asking us to leave behind so that we can follow you more fully and that we can be the kind of people that you call us to be and do the kinds of things that you call us to do. Help us in these moments, Lord. We give you permission to speak to us and to call us out to something special. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what I want us to do this morning, in your notes, if you're a note taker, and I know all of you are note takers, and those of you who are online, uh, you can uh, connect with version and uh, connect through that way and take notes. But uh, as you take some notes this morning, I want to point out um, a few insights of this story, and then I want us to get practical and say, what does this mean for us? What is, what is Jesus calling us to? How do we respond to this? What kind of fresh start is available for us? Because I believe this about Scripture, that uh, it, it is something that uh, speaks to us. And it it's never should be read and studied just to kind of have more knowledge. It should always be read and studied to say, how can this change who I am and what Jesus is calling me to? And, and so a few insights for you. Number one, the first is this. Jesus just reorients these men's priorities for their life. Just reorients their priorities. They had some priorities. Fish for a living, take care of their family, do hard work. They, they, they were just kind of, they were moving through life, doing the kinds of things that everybody was doing in their culture and their day. They, they had certain priorities. And Jesus just kind of reorients all of that. They, he, he basically says, drop what you're doing, guys. I'm going to call you to something more important. And if you think about the magnitude of that, and we know who Peter is, and we know Peter's story, we know uh, these disciples, and we know what, what Jesus ultimately uh, empowered them to do and how literally the world has changed. And we're still talking about this Middle Eastern fisherman 2,000 years later, like his name would have never been known, but we know Simon Peter's name. And we know his name because he said yes 
to what Jesus was calling them to do. And when you think about that, when you think about the fact that we would have never heard of him, much less be talking about him today, if he wouldn't have said yes, but Jesus is saying, I've got something more important for you that, that ultimately Jesus was saying this to them, that, hey, fishing's okay, guys, but people are more important than fish. People are more important than your career. People are more important than the things that are filling your time and your energy. And that, that people are the most important thing in this world. And I'm calling you to make a difference in the lives of people. That's what Jesus was calling them to do. And, and, and even though, this is interesting to me, even though they just made the catch of a lifetime of fish, right? I mean, they, they had spent their whole lives being fishermen. They had never seen a catch like this. That They had never experienced a catch like this. Even though they did this, Jesus is saying, hey, you think that's a big deal? You think catching that many fish is a big thing? I've got something even better for you. He says, listen, I, I don't want you to just catch six inchers. I want you to catch six footers, right? I'm, I'm calling you to, to catch something bigger than, than these little fish in this net. I'm calling you to catch people, to be fishers of men. And, and they had to have some questions about what is he, t-? you know, and that sounds just awkward. We're going to like throw our nets over people and haul them in. Like, what is he talking about? But, but Jesus says, listen, I'm going to call you to something more important. I'm going to call you to something bigger than this. Come with me and I'm going to show you what real life is all about. Because they thought they knew what life was about. They thought they had a handle on life. They thought they were doing pretty well. They, they, were, they were just moving on through life. But Jesus says, come follow me and I'll show you what real life is all about. So number two, just a, the second insight that I have about this passage is, is Jesus told them, don't be afraid. And this is, this is interesting that, that after the biggest catch of their life, that he would need to say, don't be afraid. You, you would have thought, you know, he would have said, hey, you know, don't get too excited, right? You know, like, um, but he says, don't be afraid. Why does Jesus say to them, don't be afraid? Because this was uncomfortable for them. What he was about to call them to do was scary for them. It was the unknown for them. They knew all about fishing. They knew all about how to catch six inches. I mean, they, they knew all about uh, how, to, how to mend nets and how to take care of a boat and how to read the lake and how to make sure they knew when a storm was coming. I mean, they, they knew all of that stuff, but they had no idea how to go catch people. I mean, that was like uh, what Jesus was about to call them to do was something completely unknown. It was something scary. It was something out there that Jesus was about to say, listen, I'm, I'm going to call you to do this thing. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because they were afraid. They were completely ill-equipped. Have you ever, you ever kind of felt like that? You ever felt like Jesus might be calling you to do something and you're like, well, I really, I can't say yes to that because I don't know what to do. I, it's scary. It's unknown. It's, it's kind of something that I haven't encountered before. And, and that's exactly what they were feeling. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And in essence, he was saying, listen, you know, um, you, you did all this work trying to catch these fish and you didn't catch anything all night long. 
uh, but I led you right to the fish. You don't have to worry about this whole catching people thing. I'll lead you to the people just like I led you to the fish. I'll take, I'll do all the heavy lifting. You, you worked all night long in your own strength and in your own power and you didn't catch any fish. But listen, if you'll just say yes to me, I'll lead you to the people. I'll take care of the, you know, I'll, I'll prepare the people. I'll, I'll have them ready for the net. All you've got to do is say yes. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I, I think that was an important word from Jesus for them. I think that's an important word from Jesus for us. Because I think there's a lot of us that are like, fish for people? How about I just go to church? That's a, that's a whole, I mean, that's a, that's a whole lot more, hand, I can handle that. I've done that, I've experienced that, but man, fish for people, I don't even know where I would start. Jesus says, don't be afraid to them. Jesus says, don't be afraid to us. The third thing I just want to point out is this. It requires humility to say yes to Jesus. It requires humility to say yes to Jesus. It requires believing that Jesus knows more than you know. It requires some obedience that says, I believe that, God, you actually know more than me. So, I mean, think about this. Peter and his friends, these were professional fishermen. Jesus is a rabbi, a teacher of religious law. He's, he's someone who is... Um, not a fisherman, all right? He was a carpenter by trade, right? And these, these fishermen and Peter, they, they've got to hear Jesus when Jesus says, hey, go out and cast out your nets again. They've got to hear that through some, really? Seriously? We're the professional fishermen. You're the rabbi. You stay in your lane. We'll stay in our lane. You know, you don't tell me how to run my business. I won't tell you how to teach the law. You know, I mean, there, there's got to be a little bit of that going on inside of them. And yet, they say, okay. In fact, Peter's response says, if you say so. If you say so. It, it requires humility, to say, Jesus, I'm going to say yes to you one more time. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if they had, I don't know how many times they cast their nets the night before. Maybe 50, maybe 100 times. I, I don't know. Maybe more than 100 times. Can you imagine how many times they hauled the nets in, threw them out, hauled the nets in, threw them all night long? Can you imagine how tired they were, how worn out? And what would have happened if Peter wouldn't have said yes one more time. Just think about that. Think about the times that, that you're, you're just kind of, you're doing everything you know to do, you're doing everything you know, and then Jesus asks you to do something just one more time. Just Can you be obedient to me one more time? Can you say yes to me one more time? And on a, if you think about it, that's all Jesus ever asks us to do. That's all he ever asks us to do. Say yes to me one more time. Be obedient to me one more time. And then that just keeps on going all the rest of our life. You don't have to think about all the things for the rest of your life you're going to have to say yes to and be obedient to. Jesus just asked you to say yes today, to be obedient today, to say, okay, Lord, I'll surrender today. And then tomorrow he'll ask you to do that again. And, and so it was just one more time of being humble and saying, all right, God, I believe that you know more than I know. 
I believe that you have a better plan than I have. I believe that if you're calling me to something, you'll equip me to do it. And to say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you ask me. This seems so hard. This is so different. This is so foreign. But yes, Lord, one more time. If you say so, I'll do it. That's what Peter did. And he brought in the biggest catch of his life. Imagine if he would have said no right before the biggest catch of his life. Think about how that would have just changed everything. If he'd have been like, no, I, I'm the fisherman. I know what's best. We've been doing this all. Everybody knows you fish at night. Nobody fishes at day, in the daytime. No, I'm not going to do that. What would have happened if he would have said no at the last moment? So here's what we need to understand is that whenever we say yes, to Jesus, the results are always greater than when we try to do it ourselves. Because when we're trying to do it ourselves, we're like Peter and his friends out there throwing nets all night long. But when we just say yes to Jesus and we just say, all right, yes, Jesus, because you say so, this makes no sense to me. This seems really hard. This, I don't know, I don't know about this, but yes, I'll do it if you say so. The biggest catch of their lives. It's always the best results. And, and Jesus knew Peter's potential better than Peter knew his own potential. I think that's so important for us to understand as we look at this passage. So over and over and over through scriptures, over and over and over in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, we see Jesus calling people to follow him. Come follow me. And he, we see people um, whose lives are changed, and we're going to see this in the Gospel of Luke as we go through this series, is we see different people who their lives are changed and, and they have this, this new hope and this, this new life that is given to them. And Jesus always then calls them to go and make a difference in the lives of others. Jesus always calls them to, to go do something about it and, and to actually impact other people. That he calls people to stop their fishing business and start fishing for people. And that fishing business is different for all of us. I mean, I don't think there are any professional fishermen with us. I don't know if there's any professional fishermen online with us. But I will say, in a, in a figurative way, Jesus is calling us to leave our fishing business and start fishing for people. Whatever it is that is consuming us, that is filling us, that is, that is the primary piece of our life, Jesus is saying, I've got something better for you. I've got something better for you. And, it, and, and this doesn't necessarily mean that, that you've got to leave your career and, and do something else and be called to full-time ordained ministry. But it could mean that Jesus is calling you in the midst of your career to fish for people while you're there. Wherever you're at in your spheres of influence, that, that you're called to make a difference for people wherever you're at. And so um, there's just a lot of reasons we don't do this. Um, when you, when you think about over and over how many times Jesus calls people to be fishers of men, calls people to, to go and make disciples, calls people to tell other people about them, that those of us who are followers of Jesus, when we see over and over in the pages of scripture where Jesus says, if you're my follower, you are to go and make disciples. If you're my follower, you are to tell others about me. There's a lot of reasons that we don't do that. And none of them are good, but 
there's reasons. And they, we, they sound kind of good when we say them. You know, this is two groups, two groups. One group's over here. And, and this group says, well, I just, I'm too new. I don't know enough. I, I would venture to guess everybody in this room falls into one of these two groups when it comes to this area. I'm too new. I don't know enough. When I know more, I'll start. When I know more. But what if they ask me a question and I don't have an answer to it? What if, what if, what if, I mean, I, can you imagine, I mean, Peter had to have all these same questions. How am I going to fish for people? I'm a fisherman. What am I, what am I going to do? I don't, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. That's, that's one group of us that are here that are online. There's another group over here. I've been following Jesus for a long, long time and I've never done this. How can I start now? I don't even know anybody who's not a Christian. I'm, I'm, I, everybody in my life is Christian. Everybody in my family is Christian. Every, like, I don't even know where I would start. How can I go do this? Now, there's some people in the middle, but most of us gravitate to these two extremes. I'm too new. I don't know enough. I've been a Christian for so long, and I've never done this. How can I start now? It's it's one of those two extremes. Now I learned this statistic this week. It it shocked me, just was staggering to me that only twenty five percent of Americans right now would fall into the category of evangelical Christians that they would say my faith actually determines how I live my life and the decisions I make. Now the the percentage is greater. If, if you just say people who say I'm a Christian, but you know, they're not really engaged in, in the life of a Christian. They're, it's not really impacting how they live. They're certainly not re- participating in their faith, but they would just say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. You know, yeah, I was a, I was a baptized as a baby or, you know, I, I go to church once a year or, you know, I, you know, five years ago I went to church. So yeah, I'm a Christian. Um, but actual people who would say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and that's impacting my daily decisions, only 25% of Americans right now would say, that's who I am. Think about that. Think about that number. Contrast that number with this number. 35% of Americans right now fall into the category of nuns, not like Catholic nuns, nuns like N-O-N-E. So in the military or in a census, when people say, what's your religious affiliation? So when I was a military chaplain, we saw this a lot. When, when you ask people, what's your religious affiliation? And they have all kinds of options. One of those options is none, no religious affiliation. Even as a military chaplain, um, over, for 10 years, we saw that number spiking in the military where the vast majority of responses were no religious affiliation. Right now in America, 35% of people, according to census data, fall into the category of no religious affiliation. So they're not saying they're Christian. They're not saying they're Muslim, they're Hindu, they're Buddhist. They're, they're, they're just like, I don't even care. I, it's not even important to me. I have no religious affiliation. It's not even something that I see as relevant to my life. Just none. So there are more nuns in America right now than there are Christians who would say, my walk with Jesus is actually impacting the way I live my life. So for us in the church to not do what Jesus is telling us to do, is it any surprise that that is moving in the direction that it's moving. When we have churches full of people 
that we say, well, we're just comfortable going to church and we like, you know, it's, it's good for us. It's good for our family. In fact, we, we start moving to the place if we're not careful, where as culture moves farther and farther away from God, as culture moves farther and farther away from what we believed was a Christian country maybe 50 years ago because, you know, that there was a lot of people that said they were Christian, um, and it was certainly more than 25%. Um, as culture moves and as our nation moves farther and farther from that, what will happen is, is we actually start to come to church and we see this as our safe harbor. We see this as our place to go and be protected from the bad world out there. And so instead of understanding that this is a hospital for sick people, and it's our job to go out and be the ER doctors and nurses that are telling people about Jesus and fishing for Jesus, we actually say, how often can I run to my safe harbor and be safe and protected from the world out there? Instead of realizing that Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail against us, and so we're not on the defensive, we're supposed to be on the offensive, and we're supposed to be doing what we talked about, what we heard uh, last week when he said, hey, you know, we ought to be on, you know, we ought to be blitzing, and, you know, we ought to be, you know, really moving in and, and pressing in, but we don't do those kinds of things because we kind of want to be safe. And so what happens is we fill up our time. And the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we do this. We fill up our time with churchy stuff and churchy people, and we have no engagement with people who are far from Jesus. And we don't have the opportunity to do what Jesus was calling Peter to do. Now, Jesus said to Peter and these disciples, he says, listen, I, I want to call you to something that is bigger, that's more important. I want to call you to stop fishing for small fish and I want you to fish for people because people are the most important thing. So God is calling us to do the same thing. And the question is, is what will you do about that? The question is, is will you make excuses and, and will you say, you know, Peter could have done this. Peter could have said, well, Jesus, you know, I just don't know enough. I'm a fisherman. It's not really my trade. Thank you, but no thank you. Uh, but Peter said yes. And Jesus used Peter to make a huge difference. He, he went from being a fisherman that none of us would have ever heard about to being one of the leaders of the early Christian church along with these other guys that Jesus called to be his first followers. Jesus was saying, hey, you think this feels good, this big catch that you just pulled in? You think this is awesome? Hey, imagine what it's going to be like when you bring in six-footers. Like, it's going to be even better. Like, come, let me, let me let you experience what real life is about. You think you're having an adventure now? Let me let you experience the real adventure that I'm calling you to in life. And so, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 16, Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I love the way the, the message paraphrase says this passage. 
Same passage in the message paraphrase says it this way. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Jesus told these first followers, listen, the purpose for your life is to experience my grace and then make a difference in other people's lives. That's, that's the purpose for your life. And, and so many of us say, you know, well, that's for people that have the gift of evangelism, not for me. I don't have that gift of evangelism. Listen, the people who have the gift of evangelism better be doing this with 20 or 30 people every year, but all of us are called this to do this with at least one. All of us are called to have at least one person in our life who doesn't know Jesus, and we're investing in them. Now, if you're a person that has the gift of evangelism, you better be doing this with a whole lot more than one. You better be like all over the place, right? But nobody gets a pass on at least one. Because Jesus said, if you're going to be my follower, then you need to tell people about me. If you're going to be my follower, then you need to go and make disciples. If you're going to be my follower, my Holy Spirit will empower you to do the things that I've told you to do and to tell people about me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said all of these things. And, and it's so interesting that uh, and this is just this is true, this fresh start that was given to these fishermen. I need us to hear, we can receive that fresh start ourselves. It's never too late. We never get, you know, well, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I've never done it, so how can I start? No, it's never too late to get a fresh start. It's never too late to start something that you've never started before. It's never too late to actually do the things that Jesus calls us to do. And we've got to start. We've got to hear this response and and not just kind of say, well, I'm going to live my simple and safe Christian life. I'm going to protect myself from all of the ugliness that's out there. I'm going to be clean and tidy, simple and safe, protected and predictable, and it's going to be just right. That is not what Jesus has called us to. That is not the calling that he has for us. He's called us to actually go out and live on the edge in faith and be bold for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to actually make a difference in the lives of people who are far from him. We are, as Jesus says here, the light of the world. We are ambassadors. We're the only ambassadors Jesus has. I think back on this past year, and I think about all the ugliness and the darkness and the brokenness and forget the pandemic. I mean, the, the, the things that we saw with um, just the racism and, and all of the ugliness we saw in the political realms. And you just think about, it was just, there was a whole lot of ugliness in this past year. 
And when you think about how the church responded to all of that ugliness, instead of the church being a beacon of light where everybody went, wow, the, the one group of people that are just full of love and kindness and, and compassion, and man, they're, they're just getting it right. Sometimes in churches, it was just as ugly. Sometimes in churches, it was just as broken. We, we, we have to be a church that not only experiences God's love, but then goes out and makes a difference for Christ in the world and calls people to something greater. But that only happens when we interact with lost people. And most Christians don't do that. So I'll close uh, with this. There's one last point that you have. Um, the trajectory. Let me, let me give you two examples. All right, This is just two pictures of the trajectory of the normal Christian life. And, and then we just get to pick which one do we want to do. The typical trajectory of the typical Christian life is that you, somewhere along the line, and Pastor Deanne gave us an opportunity to hear of the love of Jesus and, and to actually ABC, to just kind of accept where I am and believe Jesus who is who he says he is, and then to confess and, and, to, and to commit our lives over to Jesus. And, and, and maybe you did that today. Maybe you're online and you did that today. And the typical Christian life, you, at some point in your life, you make that confession. And you receive Jesus Christ in your life. You receive his forgiveness. At that point in your life, you have a lot of lost and broken people that you're connected with because most of your friends are far from Jesus because you were far from Jesus. But what happens from that moment on is you begin to move further and further away from lost and broken people, and you begin to insulate yourself more and more with Christian people and Christian activities and, and Bible studies and prayer meetings and connect groups and services and activities and, and you know watching Christian TV and, and listening to Christian radio and and none of that's bad, but what happens is, as you move further over here, one day you get to this place, and in your notes you can just write this down, that most people are at their evangelistic low point at the hour before they go be with God. So right before you die, right before you go see Jesus face to face, the same Jesus that said, I have a calling for your life. I want you to go be fishers of men. I have a calling for your life. I want you to tell people about me everywhere. I have a calling for your life. I want you to go and make disciples. Right before we go see Jesus face to face, the one who called us to all those things, we are at the evangelistic low point of our life where we are literally not only not telling anybody about Jesus, but we don't even know anybody that doesn't know Jesus, that we're not in a close relationship with anybody. That, think about that. that. That is the trajectory of the normal Christian life. But contrast that with the way it should be. And this is, this is my other little, I said there was nothing else for Valentine's Day. This is the only other thing for Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is all about love. Jesus calls us to love God, love other people. So in context of Valentine's Day, there I tied it in again. Um, this is the trajectory of how it should be, all right? You come to Jesus, 
you confess your sins, you receive his grace, and you start following him. You start reading your Bible, you start being in church experiences. He starts to change your heart. You start to realize that life isn't just about making more money and being more successful and you know having all the things that the world says that you should have. You start to realize as you follow Jesus that really life is about loving God and loving other people. And, and the, the more you walk with Jesus, the more you begin to see like that that all of all of the things that really define my past, all of the selfishness that define my past, that it's all about what I want and it's all about what I like and what it's all about my desires and my hopes, that what should happen is the longer we follow Jesus, the longer we're in relationship with Jesus, the less we say, it's about what I want and it's about what I like and it's about, it's, it's about me, 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 me. And we start to say, no, 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 it's about others. And it's about specifically others that are far from Jesus. And what happens is, is that the, the closer we get to Jesus and the longer we walk with Jesus, the more that we should look at lost people, people that are far from God, and we should see them through the same eyes that Jesus sees them. And we should have compassion for them. And we should understand that these are people that are going to spend eternity separated from God. And we should care about that and it should break our hearts and we should want to do something about it. And, and literally, the closer we get to Jesus and the closer we get to our last day of life here on this earth, we begin to realize that life isn't about this life. It's really about living for the next life. And I can't take anything with me but I can take some people with me and I'm going to do everything I can do. I'm going to spend my last breath. I'm going to spend all of my energy trying to share Jesus's love with people who are far from God. And so one day you're in a hospital bed and you're about to breathe your last and you're trying to share Jesus with the nurses and the doctors that are all around you because you want to bring as many people. And then you die and you go meet Jesus face to face and you were at your evangelistic high point doing the very thing that he called you to do right up to the moment that you breathed your last breath. I mean, that, that's how it should happen. I was talking to um, an accountability partner of mine that I meet with uh, every week. And uh, this week, uh, we, were, we were just talking about this, and um, he shared with me this story, and I, I asked him, I said, can I use your dad as an illustration in my sermon? I actually called him this morning. I was like, I, I just added this in. I said, can I just share this story? And he gave me permission to share this story. His dad is 80 years old. And the last time he visited, visited his dad over in Tampa, um, he went into his dad's like home study, and his dad had a chart on his wall uh, with a map of the neighborhood with people's names and, and different prayer requests. And he said he literally had a two-block radius of people that he was connecting with and praying with and, and just building relationships with to invite and share Jesus with. And I, I just thought, here's a guy who's 80 years old who is more evangelistically on fire than he was early on in life, that that's how we should go. And, and here's, here's the question really for all of us. We get to choose. Which path will we take? Will we follow the normal Christian path of becoming more and more isolated from lost people? Or 
Will we do what Jesus called Peter to do? Will we do what Jesus calls us to do? Will we throw down our nets? Will we throw down our excuses? Will we throw down all the things that we say, I can't because? And will we go fish for people? So the practical challenge that I want to give you, and then I'll close with prayer, is this. Uh, we're going to talk more about this. This is something that, um, you know, I, I, I should tell you this. I don't do this really, really well myself, okay? I'm, I'm not the evangelistic superstar up here, you know, beating you up. I, trust me when I tell you Jesus has been stepping all over my toes well before he got to yours this morning, okay? Um, we've been working with some people that have really been helping me just reflect on, on how well I do this. And, and I'm going to share more about that in the weeks uh, to come and in the months to come. But, but here's, here's my specific challenge for you uh, before we pray together. It's this. Will all of you commit to saying, I'll have one person in my life that is far from Jesus? And here's the criteria. They have to live locally. They don't know Jesus. They're not in a relationship with him. Now, maybe they knew him years ago, but they're not walking with him. But they're not in a current relationship with Jesus. And that you're somehow intentionally rearranging your time and your schedule so that you can spend some time with this person. That doesn't mean you have to spend all your time with them, but that you're intentionally, not just kind of waving at them when they're mowing the lawn, right? Um, But that you're intentionally spending some time with some lost people. Will you commit to do that? One person. If you got the gift of evangelism, it better be 10. Better be 10, all right? But all of us, can we commit to one? Will we commit to saying yes to Jesus, that we'll pick this other trajectory instead of the normal Christian path? Let's pray together. Father, we ask that uh, you would help us with this. We, this is kind of scary. Frankly, we're uncomfortable with a message like this because this is different and this is uncharted territory. And we have a lot of bad pictures of what evangelism is. And we picture obnoxious people or we picture different methods that have been used in the past that really weren't effective with us. And Lord, we forget that you just call us to be regular people, sharing our life with regular people. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to say yes to you this morning. I pray that you would give us a fresh start. And Lord, I just ask that all of us would be able to say, Dear Jesus, I believe you're calling me to fish for people. I believe you're calling me to tell other people about you. I believe you're calling me to make disciples of people who are far from you. God, I say yes to you. I'm scared. I don't know all the things to do. I don't have all the answers, but I say yes to you. Empower me, fill me, so that I can be a fisher of people. Thank you, Jesus, for a fresh start. Thank you that it's never too late to say yes. Thank you that we don't have to follow the normal path so that when we die, we're at our evangelistic low point. Help us to turn that around. We can't do it in our own strength. We need you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.